Space Watchers. This is Space Café Radio, your channel about trends, cool people and real conferences. I'm Thorsten, publisher of Global. This is the final review for 2021. And out of all the amazing people I had the opportunity working and talking with in the last year, I asked her to close the series together with me. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to the review with Mani Tsiru, Head of Space and Industry Development for Asia-Pacific at Amazon Web Services in Singapore. What have been your personal highlights in the last 12 months in the space industry? Thank you, Torsten. It's lovely to have this opportunity to chat with you. And it actually gives me time to reflect on what I did in 2021. It's sort of a exciting year, but mixed with the pandemic. So it felt like a bit of adventure, a roller coaster. On a personal front, I moved from Sydney to Singapore. I was looking after the Australian-New Zealand business for the aerospace and satellite divisions, part of AWS. And I took up a regional role to look after all of our Asia-Pacific customers. Maybe I should step back a bit. AWS has a long history of supporting our customers in space, including NASA JPL. So they were one of our first public sector customers about 10 years ago. But in late 2020, Amazon Web Services set up a dedicated industry business unit that is being led by my boss, retired. Major General Clint Crozier. And his vision was to develop a team of experts, a team with deep space experience, and we could work really closely with customers to innovate alongside them to fully leverage cloud technologies to solve challenges. Now, AWS helps commercial and government customers to process and transform massive amounts of space data. So that's what we do. And as far as the organizational setup was concerned, we now have a global team who support a wide variety of really inspiring aerospace and satellite companies from around the world. It's a fun team of experts. And we've got experience from every facet of the space industry, from satellite and spacecraft design to on-orbit operations, machine learning, AI, processing data. It's something like five or 600 years of combined space and satellite experience between us. Clint asked me to look after the Asia-Pacific business, so I have the privilege of doing that. And that involved moving to Singapore, which was a little bit of an adventure because it was right in the middle of the pandemic. I can say it also came with the thrill of working with so many customers. Asia, I think, is a region that tends to go sometimes unnoticed by the broader public as one worthy of contention in space. But it's actually a quite a rich and vibrant scene. So uh, if I'm able to give you a few examples, it'll give some context for why this is some of my highlights. I'm really excited to be working with companies like Warp Space in Japan. So they're developing inter-satellite communication system based on laser communication. There is Gilmore Space, it's a rocket company in Australia. They're developing low-cost small satellite launch vehicles. In Singapore, there is Hero Factory. They're an AI-based Earth Observations Analytics platform. There is Fleet Space, again in Australia. They're creating a low-cost satellite-based systems for the IoT applications. I sat on a customer base and then I came out to Asia and I was like, wow, there is so much happening in India, in Japan, in Korea. From the tiny little mountain kingdom of Bhutan to the South Pacific Island nations, Fiji and everything in between, there was excitement. I think a lot of companies, governments have recognized that space is it's part of their economic strategy. The ability to engage with these different participants was most definitely a highlight. Now, that's just working with companies. Specifically, if there's two things that stood out for me as a personal accomplishment. Quite recently, you might have seen in the press, we AWS signed a statement of strategic intent for the Singaporean government. So it's home base now for me and Singapore's Office for Space Technology and Industry is going to partner with us as they support Singapore's efforts to explore the potential of space 
as a new industry for economic growth and technology development. So we will help them focus on cloud technologies to drive the local space startup sector, nurture space talent in country, and basically facilitate collaborations that allow for growth. The other one is early last year, we also set up a, with RMIT University in Melbourne, Victoria, we set up a space industry hub. I was really proud to play a little role in setting up a hub that's together with the Victorian government and AWS partner Frontier SI. And basically what it does is it connects local businesses and research to global opportunities in space. So I'll give you, yeah, Yeah. does it sound like enough highlights? Yeah, 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 absolutely. When you went through this list of engagement of companies you work with, I thought, yeah, we reported about that. All of them. Just this morning, and we have the 11th of January, Gilmore came out with a new press release about, I think, one of their thruster tests. It will be definitely on our platform to a global audience. But what are these top three in this entire space market globally? If I look at it from a macro perspective, I think 2021 was a year where we all collectively saw a resurgence of interest in space travel and the technological innovation driving it. We saw headlines, Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, SpaceX, they all made headlines. And, you know, 2021 is probably going to go down in the annals of space history as a turning point, a moment when private citizens started leaving almost on a regular basis. That for me was, okay, This we're going to be seeing this a lot more. And that was aided by the second sort of big thing that I noticed is that governments across the globe are clearly encouraging the private sector, to invest in the space industry. They're giving away these contracts. They're enhancing national security by utilizing space. And they seem quite interested or vested in maintaining and strengthening the science, technology, and industrial basis. So they're essentially seeing space as a tool for the development of economic development, which I think is really interesting. Beginning of big companies getting contracts, government contracts, not just defense contracts, but civil contracts, space exploration. And then the third thing that to me ties the whole thing together is the flow of investment then into startup companies. There's a number that's often touted in in the sector. The revenue generated by the global space industry may go up to like a trillion by 2040, I think. And last year we saw SPACs, we saw this numbers from Bryce Technology, Morgan Stanley, all of them point to one thing. That is, the flow of investment into space is increasing. Yep. So did you have similar views? I think also this morning, Euroconsult provided their new numbers for 2021. And I think the entire space industry was worth 300 plus billion. Yes, currently. Yes. That's the current situation. So I think we are heading to the trillion. Mm. But let's see how much time we have. So there. Just on this note, what you mentioned before, the, the global trends you mentioned, what is their impact on Asia? Is there an impact on Asia? Absolutely. It's yeah, it's a great question because it exposes what is happening in Asia, which I'm always keen to do. Uh, I want our audience to understand there's a lot happening in Asia. Korea has decided they're going to go to the moon, so they're going to work really closely with NASA to make sure that happens by 2030. JAXA's always been a big player, uh, and they've got several missions in play. India has actually, last year, they opened up their direct foreign investment, and they're sort of unraveling the red tape that they had around international or global investments into this 
particular sector. They're reorganizing how they facilitate the growth of startups in their own country. And they're looking for regional cooperation. But you'll notice that there's been a lot of MOU signed between space agencies, which is a small indication of how governments are also looking at the flow of capital, the flow of talent, of products and services between regional markets. I think there is an impact to the Asian space market based on what we're seeing globally. And more and more countries, you know, there are now 70, at last count, 70 different countries in the world with a space agency. Asia forms a good part of that. Not all of them are interested in launching rockets necessarily. Lapan in Indonesia, for instance, they're looking at a program to look at building a tsunami warning system. So a lot of these are grounded in very practical uses for the local citizens. It's around communications. It's around remote autonomous management, perhaps, of either learning, pandemic control. There's so many useful examples of why space become relevant again. It's what's happening in the West has certainly sparked the imagination and the ambitions of the East. And they've always had to do it with a much smaller budget and perhaps more constraints. But it doesn't seem to slow them down in any way, shape or form. If anything, there's more and more next generation of youth, kids. Everyone's getting really excited about the space sector. We looked at last year and maybe some of it was stifled by the pandemic. I think this year, hopefully, fingers crossed, hoping that we can move around a bit more freely. And if not, we've gathered the skills to operate remotely. But I think, I think we can see a lot more exciting things come to play. Tell me, in your specific area, and I would define it as startups, innovation in your region, what touched you most? Is there anything you can highlight? When you say touched me most, there's always things that I get excited about, things that are novel, and I'm like, ooh, that's really cool. So I, I'm, I'm so, quite certain that you can be very excited <laughs> about something. I got really excited because, uh, as I mentioned, NASA JPL, one of our oldest customers, they're relying on AWS to process data from their Mars mission, Perseverance mission, the rover mission. And I love that we have a small role to play in helping them make decisions on the health and the safety of the rover. There's a lot of questions around, oh, how does that work? And... Particularly when we're talking to students, when we're using STEM as a vehicle to inspire them to start thinking about, come and look at technology, come and look at science. These are the sort of stories that we usually tell. It's not just for them. I think it's inspiring for us. I'm personally inspired every day because the criticality of data, it's all data. Space is all data as far as I'm concerned. How do you plan the reverse next day's activities? How do you process hundreds of images from Mars every day that will help NASA store, process and distribute that high volume of data to the right people at the right time in order to make the rover go where it needs to go. That for me is like, oh, cool. This is the kind of stuff that I always thought I would be playing a small role in. But the kind of things that touch me, and that's a slightly different question for me, is, as I mentioned, space is actually used for very real, tangible outcomes that impact citizens on a day-to-day -day basis. So for me, seeing customers and partners use real-time data to help protect animal habitats, to protect our environmental resources, We are facing urgent environmental challenges. Every day, there are natural resource managers responding to change, making critical decisions with lasting impacts. We want to help them take action where it matters. And these are things like addressing biodiversity effects, biodiversity offsets, bushfire. We have a lot of bushfires in Australia. And one of our startups, Fireball Australia, initially, that the whole mission was literally, how do we identify within two minutes of smoke signals? Can we predict where the fire is going to come? Can we inform citizenry? that I'm personally touched by, really utilizing space data, geospatial data, satellite communications, IoT, ground sensors, using information, intelligence to identify things that lead to a more sustainable, or help us create a more sustainable world. And instead of me waffling, I can give you a couple of examples. In Australia, for instance, we have 
OZS and they're a startup company. And what they do is they fuse trusted Earth observation data with advanced AI analytics. And they generate very sort of comprehensive data layers, detailed, consistent information, providing a complete picture, which allows for large landscapes to be examined. What should be used? What should be protected? How do we manage natural capital? Those kinds of things are, given the sustainability direction that we are taking globally, I think these are solutions which are not only essential and imperative, but will become like apps that we use every day, I hope. So that's one thing that really touches me is how do we use space data to protect the earth that we live on? And then there's so many other, we have some amazing customers. Gatehouse Maritime is an American company and they use the cloud to provide critical data analysis about ship monitoring to NOAA. And that's in order to assist their efforts to protect endangered whales near the coast of California. Another really cool example, like space and then whales. I just keep making these links back to its space data, but for the preservation of life on earth. And then finally, another amazing organization that does some incredible things, which we're really proud to support, is Digital Earth Africa. They use AWS to process satellite data faster than ever before. They can use it to predict or better understand things like, why aren't crops getting enough water here? Where is there a risk of famine? How do we get food to people who are starving or relief efforts across the continent so services and health can go where it's most needed? These are the kind of things that touch me from a space perspective is, I guess it's space, but also very much about life on Earth, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Looking back to the last year, what in the space industry is most needed still? Extraordinary accomplishments have already been achieved for the whole human race based on space technology. Space is being democratized. You don't need to be a superpower to play anymore. You don't even need to be a country. But I think with, what's the Spider-Man quote? With great power comes great responsibility. How do we now do this effectively, responsibly, collectively? What do I think is needed or what do I worry about more is the governance and the uh, appropriate regulatory framework from preventing space from becoming like a lawless wild, wild west where the strongest or the most equipped, well-funded can take an unfair advantage. But technology is going faster than our regulatory affairs, basically. I think we need to keep up. One needs to keep up with the other. And I, d I don't say have rules and regulations for the sake of having rules and regulations. We don't want unnecessary red tape stifling new innovation or enterprises. But balancing these competing requirements, the regulatory framework that protects stakeholders, countries, citizens' interests, with the freedom to exploit, to develop and exploit new technologies, On the other hand, I guess it's finding that balance and I'm not always seeing it, which is part of the reason I'm so passionate about diversity in space and space conversations, is we need more than just technologists and, and researchers and scientists and PCs. We need lawyers, we need philosophers, we need ethicists, we need writers, we need artists, we need every man represented in the discussion about space. If it's a thing that's going to take us to the next era, we could do that better. More representative. That's definitely an area to discuss further in an upcoming conversation. What are the top things to look at? So I'm super excited about Artemis One. It's scheduled for March or April, assuming all things go well. I was already excited about the James Webb Telescope, working beautifully after so many years of some insane engineering and just really marvelous technology finally launched. But this year I'm looking forward to Artemis taking off. It's uncrewed, but it's just going to be wonderful. There are so many launches. <laughs> There are so many launches, I can't keep track anymore. But I am keen to see the use cases that emerge from 
what's being launched into orbit. So new sensors, is it climate change? Is it tackling the pandemic? I'm really curious to see how these new investments that are being put into space are going to provide a benefit for a broader mm-hmm. sector of nations. And then I'm also interested in understanding, because now space technology is officially recognized as one of the keys to achieving the 17 SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals set out by the United Nations. I want to see how we can bring lots of different macro themes across the sector, across economics to understand how there's going to be more than just building and launching. What's coming down? How are we all going to derive benefit from it? My last question. Has there been any space personality for you? I think my biggest admiration really goes to two groups. One is the educators. We have a lot of fabulous people out there who are educating the next generation of talent. One giant leap, Jackie in Australia, We Speak Science in the UK, the Tina Zali, SSTL, you've got Lynette and her crew doing some amazing work here. As AWS, I tend to find partnerships with all these great organizations so we can do our bit when it comes to inspiring the next generation. But I think educators, space educators particularly, I always have time for them. I think they're amazing humans. And then there's just women in space, which I actually didn't really think about the significance of that until last year when I started to understand the dynamics of the space sector, which is not too dissimilar from the tech sector, but there may be more challenges, impediments, which may not have always made it easy for women in space. Like every woman in space has <laughs> something, a story, if you will, and they're all worthy of, of an audience. But for me, it's just remarkable. Uh, and I particularly like there's always this one standout image in my head that pops to mind quickly when the Israel team finally got sent their Mars mission, and this is going back a while, probably five, six years. It was a team of Indian women. There was one beautiful picture in Forbes, or it was probably splashed all over the magazines, but it was just women, women with beautiful saris and jasmine flowers in their hair. And I was just like, okay, so these are mothers who are probably going to go back home and still put on dinner on the table. But they also, during the day, they just managed to <laughs> send something into orbit into Mars. And I was like, wow. So yeah, I'm just a big fan of women in space and educators in space because these are the people that are, I don't know, for me, I'm, uh, listening to their stories, it's just interesting because there's so much more to them than just, it's not a day job for them. They really take it to heart. Thank you very much. Wonderful. You're very welcome, Tristan. Thank you for listening today. If you want to stay on the pulse of space, visit our website, our mothership at spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. But of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Torsten Kreening, CEO and publisher of SpaceWatch.Global, your independent perspective of space. <laughs>